I'm glad you're here. If you're new and I haven't gotten to meet you yet, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'm going to be in the cool spot. Um, Not cool like that's where the cool kids go, but where the air conditioner is blowing aplenty. Um, Thank you for being here. I don't think they designed this building to have this many um, hot bodies in this room. Don't get your pride up. I'm not talking about hot bodies. I'm talking about 98.6 degrees. If you were a hot body, you'd be with the cool kids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, uh, we are teaching through uh, Matthew. We're going to spend our second part today in Matthew 23. So if you've got your Bible, go there. And uh, we're going to finish up uh, what Jesus is really... Uh, we find Jesus really, I think, at a point of anger um, and dealing with some Pharisees and hypocrites. And, and I want us to really look at some of these behaviors that are going on. I, uh, I love watching movies and um, I like to watch all kinds, well, not all kinds of movies. Um, I need to, I guess in our society, I must qualify that. But um, uh, I will watch chick flicks with the girls. I'm a dad of girls and have a wife. So, you know, just to fit in in my house, I need to watch some chick flicks every once in a while. But I like getting into the characters. And, and I think some of my favorite movies, and, and probably five minutes after I watch a movie, I'll tell you, oh, that's on my all-time favorite list. But, you know, I, I do have movies on an all-time favorite list. And I think what draws me in is the character's ability or the actor's ability for me to just feel like, man, I am with that person. I can empathize with them. I feel like we're connecting on an emotional level with, with the character. And I can fall in love with this character. And then I'll watch an award show and they may get an award because uh, of their role. And I, I get disappointed because I'm like, that actor is nothing like the character I fell in love with. I'm like, you've just, you've just destroyed me, man. And I think we can be that way too. I think we can put on such an act in front of other people that people fall in love with the character that we play. And I said this last week and I, I've, I just believe this to be true, is that it is exhausting being fake because God will not help you be fake. Um, God created you. You are unique. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he loves you. And when we try to be something we're not, God says, I just, I'm, I'm, I, I want to love you. I don't want to love this persona that you're creating. And so Jesus really starts to attack some behaviors in the Pharisees that we're going to see. And the one thing I've learned, too, about putting on a front and being a character, being something you're not, eventually it will come out. Um, it's kind of like uh, uh, walking around with a, a false sense of confidence. Um, we were joking in the first service because I used this analogy, but it fits. It's like being very confident in who you are and your flies down. <laughs> and uh, I have preached an entire message with my fly down. Um, and I'm thankful that none of you called it out. So... Uh, but it's that false confidence. Eventually, something's going to happen. Eventually, there's going to be something that's going to, somebody's going to say, there's the real Matt. That's who he really is. You know, I think uh, when you get married, you spend a lot of time after the honeymoon uh, trying to figure out who each other is. And I think we have to get comfortable and figure out who we really are so that we can be who we are with God, in front of God, and all the time. And so Jesus is going to go into these actions and behaviors. Jesus is, this is probably some of the strongest language that we've seen Jesus get into. And he is, uh, he's angry, yes. 
He's not angry at the person. He's angry at the behavior. And I think we need to understand that as a church. We need to love people. We can, we can disapprove of behavior, but if we don't love people, then the gospel does not get rooted in their life. I mean, let's just call it for what it is. And Jesus is at a point where it, this is his pie-pie moment. You know, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And so the spinach is coming out. And so he starts, he starts going at it. So let's look at some of these behaviors. The first one is hypocrites will respond, will not respond to God, but won't let you respond either. Um, a behavior of a hypocrite is I'm not only going to shut the door for you, I got to realize I'm shutting it for me. This is what Jesus says. We're going to start in verse 13. That's where we left off last week. He says, woe to you. And let me under, help you understand this. When Jesus says, woe, he's not being cute Joey Lawrence going, whoa. He is, okay. <laughs> I had to work it in because I can do the woe. He is, uh, when you see woe, Jesus says woe, run and hide because God is angered. And he's saying woe. And it, this, is, this is like mom calling out not just your first name, but your first, middle, and last name, okay? I knew when my mother called out all three of my names, and if she would, put, if she would tack others on the end, it's even worse. But if she called out all three of my names, the wrath of mom is coming upon me, you know? judgment and darkness shall befall my world because she has called out the three names that I am known for. And Jesus is saying, woe, run and hide. And he's saying this to the Pharisees like, you better get this. You have to understand this. This is highly important. And what he's doing is he's calling the Pharisees out in front of the crowd. Remember, I said this last week. There's the Pharisees, the crowd, and the disciples. Jesus turns and talks to the disciples and the crowd about the Pharisees. And so he is saying, woe to you people, because you are not getting this. And he's calling the behaviors. It's just like what I was saying. They think they've gotten the righteousness, and the inside is coming out. And these are the behaviors that are happening. So he says this, verse 13, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter nor will you let those enter who you are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. If you notice in your scripture, it went from verse 13 to 15. Mark has verse 14, and it's in the the footnotes of your Bible if you have that. It says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You devour widows' houses for a show, and for a show make lengthy prayers. Therefore, you will be punished more severely. What you're going to see is he starts out these behavioral uh, point. He's pointing out behaviors, and he's starting out, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. He is saying this. There's repetition involved because he's desiring to get their attention. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole thing where mom's like, Will you listen? Will you listen? Will you listen? You know, she has to say it three times before it sinks in somewhere. And that's what Jesus is doing. And what he's saying about the Pharisees is, is you are shutting heaven to the people that God is desiring to be, to be known to. Think about it. The, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were put in place by God to be the religious leaders and to be the holy leaders of Israel. And they had become so self-righteous and put on this front that God is now saying, I, I, we've got some behavioral issues that we've got to correct. You've let this responsibility and this position go to your head, and we've got to fix it. 
and what you're doing. You are shutting the door. Your self-righteousness and this act and this, this character that you're putting on is shutting the door of heaven in the face of people that you are supposed to be ministering to. And by the way, by you shutting the door on them, you're on the wrong side. And Jesus says, I'm not playing your games. And what, this is just like this in the church. Here's how this happens in the church is we come in and we get our stuff together. You know, we, we kind of get this mentality of like, well, I can't go to church because I'm a mess. And so I've got to get my stuff together before I can go to church. And if we get our stuff together and we come in and we think we've got it all together and that we're good because we've gotten it together, then people that are a mess that are looking at us going, I can't be a part of that because I'm not good enough. And then on the flip side, maybe you think you got it good enough. And I'm preaching to me here. Maybe I think I got it good enough and I'm out, at some, I'm out in the workplace, I'm out in, at the grocery store and, and somebody sees that, hey, that's a fake front. That's a character because the real him just came out. Sometimes that happens to me in traffic. So, and so they look and go, that's, he's, he's not good. He's putting on a front. He's just as messed up as I am. And so people are going to say, I don't want to be a part of Jesus or the church because I'm too good. Because I don't need to deal with that mess. Here's the challenge. Either way, they've made a decision not to be a part of Jesus. And they're out. And, and we as the church can shut the kingdom of heaven and a relationship with Jesus when we put on these false fronts. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't put on this show. Don't do this. Don't create converts to your cause. I think the church needs to get back to preaching Jesus, the word of God. You would be amazed how many emails I get from our community about what we preach. It's a real boring answer. We preach Jesus. We don't preach against anything. We preach Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus. And when we do that, then people can connect. Well, I'm a mess. Yeah, but Jesus is who we need. Yeah, but I, I, I think I've got stuff together. <laughs> you don't got anything if you don't got Jesus. And so let's get into this and understand that hypocrisy shuts the door and we've got to get past this thing. Here's the Pharisees' process for making uh, uh, converts. They would go to, they, and they would only go to the good people, by the way. They wouldn't go to people like me or, or us because we are a mess. And they would go to people who seemingly have it all together anyway and say, hey, join this cause. And they would go to them and say, here's what you have to do. It's really easy. All you have to do is deny all other gods, believe that Yahweh is the one true God, and uh, be circumcised. Um, we have baptism. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I think where the church gets in, involved with this today is, is we, we, we do a great job of pointing out people's sin and say, and then you need Jesus, and say this prayer after me and everything's fine and then be baptized, I think we miss out on a relationship. And he's saying, you're shutting the door to relationship. It's the, it's, Jesus is not lucky charms. You don't say the magical prayer and, and you're in. Okay, Jesus desires transformation, not conversion. Okay, Jesus wants to take who we are, mess and all. You see, here's something that we've got to understand is that Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. He didn't say, come, come clean up your mess and then, then see what I can do. Let me see how I can fix you. Jesus says, I love you. Before the foundation of the world was laid, he said, I will be the sacrifice that stands in place for humanity so that we can be reconciled with God. 
I think we all need to understand that about ourselves. That yes, I'm a mess. I'll be at the front of the line and be like, I'm just a mess. But I know God loves me. I struggle with loving myself. I struggle with loving other people. But I know God loves me. And even when I don't feel worthy, he says, you were worthy enough for me to walk the hill and hang on a cross and lay in a tomb and step out of that tomb because you're worth it. And it's not a conversion. It's a transformation that happens with that. He goes on um, and says this, hypocrites focus on rules and end up missing out on realities of faith. This is uh, 16 through 22. Woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. What he's saying here is you've made this set of rules in your favor. The Pharisees had created a religious system that allowed them to rob God and rob other people. And Jesus is calling them out on it. He say they, they practice this... Uh, um, thing called korban, which meant anything that you dedicate to God cannot be used for anyone else. Now, this worked out in great favor for the religious leaders because for you, you're bringing your gold into the, into the temple and you're laying it on the altar. Well, it can't be used for anything else. But we as the religious leaders, will take care of it for you. And so they'd worked out a system. And what had happened is they were missing the great realities of faith. They were defiling the gift because they refused to see the power in the altar the gift was laid on. You see, the rules made them miss out on the realities that God is real. How do we get into this in church today? Well, we can mundanely show up here on a Sunday morning and, and we have an amazing setup team that gets here early and they were, they were working it today because it's hot. And we're sweating and laughing and goofing off, but we can confuse that with a ritual that we're just setting up chairs, carpet, some instruments, some, some stuff, setting up all these foyers and everything. And we can get so fixed on the rules of how to set this place up that we miss that this is God's place because we have walked in here. And we miss the realities of faith. We, we can go through worship in such a mundane way that we, we see words and hear music and we miss the reality that the God of the universe is indwelling in our praises, that we are singing to the one who has redeemed us, that we get time. It's, it's like spending time in God's lap as our father and us singing to him and saying, Daddy, we love you. And we can miss these realities. You see, there's nothing sacred about this building but it becomes a sacred environment when the church inhabits, inhabits it. This is not our final destination. I think it's fitting that we started in a daycare because it's kind of cool that we get to grow up. You know, I think we've had some accidents. I've kind of messed my pants a couple times here. You know, um, we're learning to walk. But that's the beauty of God taking us through these steps. And these steps aren't just rituals and they're not just rules. These steps are for us to be, live in the awe and wonder that God is the one true God and that Jesus is the sacrifice 
for us. And it's the gospel that we connect with. And Jesus is saying, you're missing out on this. Don't just be interested in the gifts. See, a hypocrite is interested in the gifts of God and not the true worship of who he is. And I have to admit, I've been guilty of this. I have to repent of this because I can get so focused on what God can give me that I miss out on who God is. And I find myself on my face going, God, I'm sorry. I've been seeking what you can give me and not who you are. I love you because of who you are. Yes, I know I deserve hell. And your grace has covered my sins. And I'm not just grateful and love you because you have saved me from hell. I'm grateful and love you because you loved me first. And it's a healthy love. He also says hypocrites give what they want and not what God wants. In verse 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. This is a smack in the face to them. I know, we're just like a gnat and a camel, you know. <laughs> what, that, what? But... That, that's really a smack in the face because what they were doing, they were tithing their spices, their mint, dill, and their cumin, which probably sounds like a Middle Eastern dish that they were probably going to prepare in the temple, you know. We need some, never mind. Um, but they would follow the letter of the law. A tenth, a tithe is a tenth. And they would go to their dill plant and they would go to the leaves, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then they go to their cumin plant, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, and I'm sure they did it that way, ten. It's like the guy from the dump. Um, But they would wash it. I'm sure they would roll it in a paper towel and put it in a Ziploc baggie because that's what Heather does when she goes to the grocery store. Um, And then they would skip to the temple. I don't know. They would bring their their mints and their herbs and spices to the temple in their Ziploc baggie. And they would come and they would lay it on the altar. But here's the problem that Jesus has with this. He says tithing is important. And tithing is not a dead principle, by the way. I believe that they tithe what is needed so that the the temple could be uh, housed and and the storehouse could be full so that they could uh, provide ministry to the people so that the people doing ministry could get the word out. And and that's the same today. I look at our local church as the storehouse and the tithes are to be brought into the storehouse. Um, So you kind of know, I look at this uh, tithes or what helps us pay the bills and offerings are above that. That helps us grow. And so... The Pharisees, Jesus isn't calling them out for for following the law and saying, you need to tithe. He's calling them out because they're they're doing it ritualistically. They're doing what they want. Because you see, when they they go through and do it meticulously and they, they parade down the street and they lay it at the altar, they're giving what gives them love. I mean, think about it. I mean, Heather and I are the first people that give to this ministry. We believe in this ministry. And and I don't come in the side door um, with a giant award check, you know, that they would give out at a golf tournament, you know. And and I I, I don't carry it in going, Heather and I are giving our tithe, you know. Oh, it won't fit in the tithe box. I need an elder to carry this for me. That's what he's calling out. Because you'd be like, man, Matt's, oh, he's so righteous. I mean, look at that. Look how many zeros are on that giant check. He must have a large wallet. But, uh, but what he's saying, don't neglect giving, but do it in secret. 
Here's the thing. They, they were doing what made people love them, not what brings God glory. And here's another thing where Jesus got really aggravated when he said, you'll strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. While they were parading down to the temple to give their offering, they were passing by the poor, the broken, those laying on the side of the road with leprosy saying, have mercy on me. They were passing by the courthouse where a widow may may be uh, robbed of all of her possessions because her husband had died and she had no man to defend her or her property. And they would walk past all of these injustices and opportunities to share the gospel, to be Jesus to someone, to reflect the love of God to people because they were so hung up on getting their spices to the altar. And Jesus says, you'll strain out a gnat. Now, a gnat was the smallest of, of animals and insects that if you ate it or ingested, it, you would be considered unclean. When they would drink wine, they would put a strainer above their wine. And if that wasn't enough, they, they would lift it and drink their wine, and they would strain it through their teeth. And so if a gnat touched it, they could spit it out before they were unclean. A gnat was considered unclean. The largest unclean animal was a camel. And he's like, you, you blind guides. You've got... You've got a strainer on your wine glass, but there's a camel inside. You are, you're, you're going through these little meticulous things to be clean, but you're choking on a camel's because you are neglecting the justice, the mercy, and the faithfulness, and the ability to help those around you. I haven't found any verse in Scripture where God loves cumin, dill, and mint more than justice, mercy, and obedience, and faithfulness. If you can find it, show it to me, and I'll, I'll change my theology with that. But I haven't found it because God is, is desiring of the, the bigger things. And so don't just give what brings us love and what we want. Here's the problem with that. The Pharisees majored on the minors and missed the bigger picture. See, we can get so focused on the gnats spiritually that we completely miss the big picture. And we miss everything. So let's, let's go on. Now, now he calls them out. He says, you're hypocrites, and hypocrites cover inward corruption with outward conformity. Verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. We, we used to have this cup when I was growing up. It was a coffee mug, and I loved it. It was great when we had company come over. I think we got it at a flea market or something. Um, I, know, I know exactly where we got it. It was in South Carolina at Waccamaw Pottery, and it was a, how I remember that, no idea, but it was a coffee mug, and inside was a ceramic uh, cockroach molded to the bottom of the mug. <laughs> Oh, years of entertainment with this cup. We loved giving it to our guests. You know, we would serve them coffee um, so they would know how great servants we were. And they would just be drinking along, you know. And because I, I don't know if you're like me, but I look at my plates and silverware before I eat, you know what I mean? So they'd be drinking along, and all of a sudden you see them go, <laughs> and excuse themselves to the restroom, and you hear them in there going, huh, huh. <laughs> You know, and in the meantime, we're all in the dining room just rolling. Ah! You've probably experienced something like that. When you go in to get your coffee mug out of the break room at the office, and the outside is clean, but inside it's got the coffee funk, we'll call it. You know, that doesn't come off. I mean, think about it. If it does that to the cup, what's it doing to the inside of us? 
oh, excuse me. Um, what he's saying is the, the inside is filthy. And then he goes on, woe to you teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He says, you're corrupt inside. The inside is filthy. You've put on a great front of showing people how righteous you are. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's whitewashing them and pointing them out and saying, uh, that is not righteousness. You've manufactured that. You've built that. I'm convinced that that if the inside of of us is dirty, the outside's going to be dirty. You know, we can try to put on the front that the outside's clean, but the problem is it's like a stain in the carpet. If you just get it off on the surface, eventually it's going to work back through. You can, you can do all of the right things and religious things and be a good person, but you'll still be a good person without Jesus. Unless Jesus is on the inside and Jesus transforms us. I think when Jesus transforms us, he cleans the inside. We can't do that. He cleans the inside and that begins to move to the outside. So what happens is this, through transformation, God transforms my heart. My heart starts to clean the rest of my body and my actions and my desires and my thoughts and everything that I focus on begins to change. And it begins to change with the lens of Jesus. I begin to not just pass hurting people on the way to give what God's told me to give. I don't just uh, move past hurting people on my way to do my duty at church. You know, well, I serve at church, so I got to pass all these other people. I think it begins to, to soften our lens to say, that's a hurting person. They need help. And we begin to be honest with who we are. In the workplace, instead of us being self-righteous and telling other people how to fix their problems, we begin to involve ourselves in their problems. We begin to move not as whitewashed tombs, but as life-giving people. The reason the tombs would be whitewashed were were twofold. Uh, It would happen in Jerusalem about the Passover time. They would have the people go through and whitewash them mainly uh, for these two reasons. So when people came over the hill, the city of Jerusalem would be glowing because millions of people would converge on Jerusalem during Passover. And so, you know, it's just, it's a beautification project. So when they come over the hill, um, they see these whitewashed tombs and I'm sure they didn't have sound systems for the city. So they probably staged people around going, oh, you know, so when you walk over, you're like, we have arrived. But they, they would also do it as a religious favor to the people coming into Jerusalem because here's more law. If you were to accidentally touch one of those tombs while you were going in to give sacrifice and and to be in in the Passover at the temple, if you touched one of those tombs, you were ceremonially unclean and you could not be in church for seven days. Thus, your trip to Jerusalem is in vain. And so they would do it as a religious activity. What Jesus is doing, he's whitewashing the Pharisees and saying, right there, don't touch that. They, they've put on a righteous show, but inside they're full of wickedness and corruption and dead men's rotting bones. And so don't touch it. You see, Pharisees didn't want to touch people who were unclean because they would become unclean. And what Jesus is saying is the people you avoid because you think they're unclean, you're actually making them more unclean. It's, it's like us in the church. We're willing to engage in helping people deal with sin because we're worried their sin's going to jump off of them and onto us. 
Now, we do have to be careful. We've got to guard ourselves against temptation. I, I mean, I don't, I don't believe that if you struggle with alcohol that you should be going and ministering in the bar. I mean, use your brains here. But, but we cannot get under this mentality like, oh, I can't help them because I may start struggling with that. We have to engage ourselves in ministry. And Jesus is calling it out. And he's saying, you're whitewashed tombs. Jesus cleans the heart and then changes our behavior. And so let's live that way. And then he goes on and says, you hypocrites abuse authority to silence the truth. Verse 29, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. What, was, what, what they're saying is, you know, throughout the Old Testament, you look, the nation of Israel falls away from God, God sends a prophet. And the forefathers of the Pharisees were the ones that were killing those prophets. They were abusing their power and authority to stop truth. And, then he, and they say, well, Jesus, if we'd been alive then, we wouldn't have done that. Because it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, yes, they were a prophet. We wouldn't have been involved with that. But Jesus says this, um, so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers. So it goes from hypocrites with this uh, tough term to snakes and brood of vipers. This would have taken them mentally right back to the Garden of Eden. You see, Pharisees knew the law. They knew the story. They knew the history. They would have gone to the Garden of Eden going, whoa, 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 whoa. You're calling me a snake? So you're saying that I'm Satan? So you're saying that I'm twisting the scripture to get my own way? That wouldn't happen to me. That doesn't happen in the church today where we take scripture and twist it to to fit our needs. I'm glad we're reading this in a story and not dealing with this in reality, huh? Um, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. What he's saying here is that their blood is on your hands. Your forefathers killed the prophets for speaking the truth. What are the Pharisees getting ready to do to Jesus? Crucify him. For what? Speaking the truth. You see, they preached real hard to push their own agenda. They preached to build their kingdom. That's where this hypocrisy causes a lot of issues in the church. Because we can tend to move away and start to twist and distort truth to get our way. You know, I would much rather be walking in the middle of the truth and deal with hardship and have to deal with pain than to twist God's word that not only then affects me, but as a church community, as a leader of a church community, I don't want to be accountable for that. I will be held accountable for what I teach you. You will be accountable for how you apply it. But I will be accountable for me teaching the truth and speaking the truth to you. And so I don't want that accountability on mine, on my hands. 
just as Jesus is putting the blood of the prophets on these Pharisees' heads. You see, he said upon this generation, this is AD 33, about AD 70, the temple was destroyed. You see, God would rather destroy the temple than to have us make a mockery of it. I I firmly believe that God would rather destroy the creek than for us to make a fraud of it. For us to try to convert people through hypocrisy and make them twice as much a son of hell as we would be. You see, I, I don't want to do that. And we've got to be genuine. And, and here's the thing. I don't know if when you were growing up, if you ever got in a fight. I think of Ralphie on Christmas Story when he tackles the kid and he's just wailing on him, you know. And I mean, he is unloading. And then his mom grabs him and looks at him. And that realization... And he just, he starts crying. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to that point, you know, like after your emotions have just charged that much that you just cry. I think what's happening with Jesus is, is he's had enough and he unloads on the hypocrites. And then, and then this is just beautiful because we see that, that hypocrisy breaks the heart of God, but, but God still loves the hypocrite. And he begins this transformation of tone in verse 37 when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think that shows the heart of God, that yeah, he is willing to put us through the pain of calling out our behavior. Um, I'm reminded of the scripture that says, what you cover before God, he will uncover before men. But what you uncover before God, he will cover before men. You know, when we try to cover who we really are, God's willing to let us go through the pain of him calling us out so that he, we're real, we're real with him and we're real with each other. And our behaviors reflect that attitude that Christ died for. And, and I think that, that in this, he's saying that you were willing. I was willing, but you weren't. I believe that being a hypocrite makes us self-righteous and puts on a front to where we don't even think we need God. Where we think we've got it together enough. Where we begin to, to diminish who God is, the realities of faith... The, the supernatural power of God, that we de- begin to diminish it. And that sense of awe and wonder and inspiration that, that we once had is gone. And, and we become hollow shells of people who put on a front, who begin to work at behaviors that we have no way of backing up with heart. Now, I want to go back, because it's been probably a year since we hit this, but go back to Matthew 5. Um, this is where Jesus really hits these behaviors. And he's, he's really, I think these are paralleled to what he's calling out the, the Pharisees on. This is the Sermon on the Mount. These are the Beatitudes. Chapter 5, verse 3. I want to read this, and then we're going to go into time of communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, Jesus is very clear on the attitudes that he desires us to live with. I firmly believe the only way we we can live with that attitude is through a heart that has been transformed by Jesus. However you want to term it, conversion, transformation, regeneration, born again, becoming a Christian, it is Jesus having to take who we are and transform that so that everything on the inside changes and those behaviors begin to change from the inside out. You see, there's so many things that we try to change from the outside in and it's just a backwards process and honestly, it's exhausting. And we get so exhausted trying to be righteous and trying to be someone who we're not. I would much rather be a mess and be working with God than to be self-righteous and ignoring my mess and be just out there exhausted. I mean, Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's been times in my life I'm so tired of being fake that I just need rest. And I love the, the beauty and the safety of this environment because I feel no other environment other than my home and my family that I can be absolutely real. And I'm so grateful for that. And we're going to go into a time of communion. And here's what I want you to reflect. Your reflection is, am am I transformed in my behaviors and my actions? You see, we're going to take of the cup and the bread. and, And those are symbols, mere symbols of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And those were the ability for us to be transformed. And so I want you to reflect on that. And I want you to spend... Uh, just a minute, and, and pray, God, reveal to me where I need that transformation. Make that a reality in my life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that, that you are willing to get um, in our faces, that you're willing to get in the Pharisees' faces and call truth. But God, we thank you that you do that in love, that we see that your heart breaks for us, that you desire us to be so transformed that, that everything we do, everything we say, everything that we are about is holy. And Father, we, we just ask that you give us the courage to lay ourselves down. I, I, God, I, I know that I get exhausted. I know a lot of us in this room are exhausted. I want to thank you for the environment here, God, that in, in our small group times, just some of the greatest sounds that I can hear are, are the sounds of relief of people just saying, ah, I just need rest. And so, Father, as we uncover ourselves before you, would you cover our sin? Would you forgive us for turning people away by being self-righteous or... Um, really God for inviting persecution on us and the church and your kingdom by being a jerk would you forgive us for that help us to live with the attitudes and behaviors that are pleasing to you that glorify you that help people see a clear reflection of you 
and that lead people to the cross. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice that while we were yet sinners, that even in our mess, you love us. And that same power through the Holy Spirit that called you out of the tomb is the same power that works in us to regenerate us, to give us a clean heart, to give us pure minds, to give us holy actions, and to be real with you and each other. So God, here we are. We love you. We thank you. And we invite your transformation into our life, our families, our neighborhoods, our jobs, our church. Thank you in Jesus' name. Our, uh, we've got some ushers that are going to hand out some communion elements. You do not have to be a member of, of, of the creek to receive communion. Uh, what communion is, is symbolism. It is uh, us partaking in the blood and the body of Christ. And so uh, this is what we call family time. Um, we are a family with Jesus as the head. Uh, scripture refers to us as a body of which Christ is the head. And so we're going to to take part as a family this morning. And uh, while they're handing these elements out, hang on to those. They are double stacked. The bread is underneath the the juice. So make sure you have two cups when you pull that out of the slot. Um, And uh, just take a moment just to reflect on what transformation looks like in your life and where that transformation needs to become a reality. And uh, the band's just going to play softly just for a few minutes and then we'll come in and close it out. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that you love us. God, if we get nothing else out of this morning that, that, that you love us, that we don't have to pretend anymore, we don't have to be someone we're not, that you love us. Father, I just pray that every person in this room and in their heart, they hear you say, I love you. I love you. We ask that as we leave from this time, that that as we have food and drink, lunch, dinner, breakfast, all throughout our day, that we're reminded through food and through what we put into our body of your goodness, of your grace, of your love, and of what you did so that we could be righteous, we could be whole, that we could be well. We love you so much.